This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the writer and director for The Quiet Girl, Colin Barade. How long should they keep her? Till after the baby? She can't they keep her as long as they like. Well, here, Erin Galinsa. Shasamach, good out of my splech, a character. Aren't you saying? Herself, then? Herself. His name. Lady O'Hosenhall. We'll keep the child gladly. Mein Vorstehenser. Means a child. Ach, me hated the show. Kite! My father let all the fun here, my son. On a rein to me! Isn't your mammy good to you? Colleen June and Colleen Kena. Tell she'll make this God your own. Welcome everyone to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with the director and writer of the Oscar-nominated film The Quiet Girl, Colm Barade. Colm, how are you today and how are you dealing with all this exciting time? <laughs> I'm I'm very good, Dan. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm kind of pinching myself a little bit. Uh, it's, it's been a pretty wild ride. Um, but you know, what a, what a wonderful journey to be on, you know, it's, I guess it's this, it's sort of the stuff of dreams. Like I was at the Oscar nominee luncheon the other day and that <laughs> met like Steven Spielberg and Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron and Roger Deakins. And, you know, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of pinching myself a little bit, certainly. Mm-hmm. Well, it's for a very deserving film, for a very beautiful film. For anyone listening who doesn't know, The Quiet Girl was adapted from a short story. And I was wondering what drew you to this material first as a reader and then as someone who decided to make a movie out of it? Um, I guess, you know, the 
the story, um, which is called Foster, is by Claire Keegan, who's, you know, one of our great writers back in Ireland. She's, um, you know, she writes largely kind of shorter form material. She's, um, but she's a real master of of what she does. And like her most recent work was actually shortlisted for the Booker Prize and is being made into a movie now with Killian Murphy, actually. But her writing just, when I read Foster, it was the first piece of her writing that I had encountered. And it just floored me, you know, um, you know, the formal aspects of it were amazing, obviously, but um, the emotional uh, power of the piece was was really remarkable and, and how how it was sort of delivered with this great restraint, you know, that there's it doesn't indulge in in uh, in any kind of manipulation or anything like that. It's It's a very kind of pure and unfiltered piece of storytelling that just lands this huge emotional uh, sort of gut punch, uh, particularly right right at the end. And, um, you know, I was in tears by the time I got to the end of it. And uh, I just had this, you know, undeniable urge to to try and translate it to, to screen. And thankfully, the rights were, were still available at that point. And, and Claire was 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 happy uh, to allow a first time feature filmmaker access to to this beautiful piece of work. Yeah, and like you said, this is your first feature. You've done shorts, you've done TV, you've done documentaries. How did you feel those experiences helped you in both prepping and filming The Quiet Girl? Um, well, I guess, you know, I've always had a deep love of fiction filmmaking, and I've always sort of, you know, to make a feature has been, I guess, a dream of mine for for many years. Um and as you say, like I've been making short films since adolescence, really. And then, you know, I, I kind of got into working in TV and making documentaries as well, um, largely as a way of like still being a director and but still being able to like, you know, <laughs> earn money and, and survive. Um, but then I, I came to realize that I, I, I've really I really learned so much working in documentary as well and, and, and in television. You know, it's. I really value all of those experiences because particularly the the kind of documentary work where I was, you know, doing kind of observational documentaries where you're, you're following people over an extended period of time. And, you know, I'd oftentimes be filming myself, like doing the camera work and, and you really learn a great patience, I think in that work, you know, that you're, you're just observing character in a way. Um, and you're not inserting yourself into the process. You're trying to become invisible almost. So certainly I, I feel like I learned, uh, yeah, like that that sense of patience. And when I look at The Quiet Girl, I, I feel like there's a sort of a very patient approach to character evident in, in the work. And also the other thing when I was shooting documentaries is I was always really concerned with, with trying to capture a sense of place, you know, like trying to trying to figure out like how do you how do you represent like the essence of this space that you're in? And I really feel again when I watched The Quiet Girl that 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 kind of muscle I developed over those years making documentaries and shooting documentaries that that again is is quite evident in in the film's sort of careful presentation of place, um, which is so important to the film even thematically because you know the film is a sort of meditation on the fact that we're we're all shaped by our environments you know so like the 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 environments in the film are sort of characters in their own right. And I guess also, you know, when you work in, in documentary for so long and people are kind of bearing their 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 souls to you and oftentimes letting you into their lives in a way that's that's sort of deeply 
uh, emotional and you kind of carry that with you then when you move into fiction filmmaking and that you're you're searching for for something quite truthful and you're you're wary of anything that that's um that's contrived or or that has a sense of artifice about it and hopefully the the film in terms of how it it explores character and and the sort of emotional subtext of everything hopefully it's it it feels to audiences like it's it's in that realm of 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 being quite honest and uh and that it earns its moments, I guess, emotionally. And I can say that for me, in my watching it, I was so struck by how you were able to capture the feeling of being alone as a child. There are several scenes of her when she's just alone in the new house. And between how she was placed in the frame and the sound I was just sort of immediately taken back to my own childhood when, you know, like mom and dad finally decided it's okay to leave the kids at home for an hour or two. And all of a sudden everything got really quiet and heavy. And so I was very uh, captured uh, by that in, in this film. And I, I was wondering what, well, obviously you create that feeling through all of the elements of film with the cinematography and the editing and the set and all of that. But did you have a specific idea in mind for how you wanted to go about creating that feeling? Or did you find it while you were shooting? Talk about creating a feeling in a fiction film. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's lo- lovely to hear you say that, actually, because that's like precisely what we were trying to do is like place the audience back into that feeling that we all remember when we were kids of, of you know, being somewhere strange or, or encountering an adult that you didn't know yet and not trying to figure them out or, or, you know, feeling fear or feeling joy or whatever, you know. And that was like, I knew that was the key to, to the film working was it was always rooted in the question of point of view, you know, in the same way that Foster by Claire Keegan is, you know, it's written in the first person and everything is filtered through this one young consciousness. So for us, it was every kind of decision in terms of the aesthetic of the film was rooted in that understanding. So, so like even the shape of the frame, which is like Academy ratio, one, three, seven to one that in itself is is an attempt on our part to present this kind of naive point of view in a sense like it's it's a it's a point of view uh where the her horizons haven't expanded yet you know that there we liked this idea of things being just outside of the frame that are kind of beyond her understanding or beyond her reach in a way and also yeah we we were just trying to find a simplicity of form i think in which quite complex dynamics could be observed by the audience but that the form itself is sort of emulating this this childlike perspective on on things and that there's almost like a naivety to the to the image making so that was that was certainly our our intent and i always quite like the idea as well that the 
academy ratio itself you know that belongs to a time when cinema was like in its infancy or it's kind of early adolescence maybe it just it just felt quite suited you know to the uh to the the the, the present the, the presentation of this point of view and also a film that's so much about silence as well you know it's like Catherine's performance is almost like a silent movie performance in a way like the amount of dialogue she has is is fairly limited you know it's it's uh it's very much a a non-verbal movie I, I would argue you know the it's all about subtext and it's all about reading into the characters and um you know it's that kind of thing like that old Hitchcockian adage about you should be able to understand a movie with the sound turned off and I think our film would certainly kind of fall into uh into that category that it's it's uh it's it's first and foremost a, a piece of, of visual storytelling absolutely you're absolutely right it, it does feel like a silent movie i felt the whole way through i knew exactly what was going on between these characters even the unspoken things that is going on between them were you able to do a lot of rehearsing with the actors i know Catherine clinch should not done any film work before if if i recall incorrectly and how did you go about because the chemistry and the way that she and the other actors sort of navigate the relationships is extremely well done yeah thank you um i guess we did we did quite a bit of rehearsal but not so much between Catherine and carrie and andrew who play the the surrogate parents in a way that this sort of period of prep with Catherine was almost more about me getting to know her and sort of developing a, a sort of a language between us and a trust between us. And also, you know, I, I was quite keen that she would get used to the environment. So we used to go to the locations uh, with her and the other, the other girls who played her sisters. And, you know, so we do like, we do like rehearsal sometimes out in, in a barn or something, you know, on the farm and, uh, and then just get them doing like kind of chores around the place and, you know, just get them used to the place, you know, because it, it's um, this was now the biological, the, the homestead, her biological homestead, that this is a place that they just know, you know, that they exist in. But then when it came to like the, the place that she goes to and then the people she meets there, I wanted that to feel less familiar to her because that's what it feels like to her character. So, for instance, she didn't she wouldn't have seen a huge amount of of Carrie and Andrew before we we did the filming and and I know Andrew in particular whose character takes a little longer to sort of uh get close to 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 Coit, to Catherine's character he quite purposely you know between takes and stuff didn't sort of try to ingratiate himself too much with Catherine he almost kept a little bit of a distance and then over time as the shooting went on and as their characters, because we shot it as, as chronologically as we could, mm-hmm. um, as their characters kind of become closer, he was allowing himself to become closer to her off camera as well. So there was this beautiful relationship developing between them organically to the point that when we filmed like the kind of final scenes that uh, myself and the sound recorders in particular, who would have been hearing all of their interactions like off camera, like throughout the shoot and sort of witnessing this this sort of kindling of this relationship like we were both just in tears like watching the monitor um when we got to to the to those final scenes and um yeah it was just really it was a really special really special thing to to witness 
Well, that translates to the film. I know I shed a good many tears at the end, and I know a lot of other people who have as well. So thank you. Thank you for the film. Thank you for your time today. And before we go, I just have one last question for you. Were you a quiet boy growing up? I was, Dan. If you weren't asking me all these questions, I wouldn't be talking so much. Uh, <laughs> I definitely related to the character. Yeah, I was I was more of a, a quiet, like observant kid. I think I was sort of, yeah, I, I had the camera rolling in my head. And, <laughs> yeah, observing, I think. So, yeah, I certainly kind of identified with the character on, on that front, you know. And in a weird way, it's kind of like the you know, the Irish language, which is like this minority language in Ireland that's sort of struggling to survive in many ways and is actually on UNESCO's endangered languages list. The Irish language is almost like, you know, caught character. It's like this, this sort of downtrodden and forgotten language in a way that's been sort of silenced um, over the years. But, but hopefully like Cot's character, will 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 sort of find its its voice you know so um certainly this film has has helped in that regard and and has become a a kind of a, a rallying call of sorts i think for 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 many people back home yeah well like i said it's a des- very deserving film to do that i wish you all the success thank you so much for joining us today thanks dan great to talk Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Dan Bear's interview with the writer and director for the Oscar-nominated film, The Quiet Girl, Colm Barade, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Quiet Girl is representing Ireland in this year's Academy Awards for Best International Feature and is up for your consideration. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, 
for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.